All right, I'm back. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Southern Scrap Nation's podcast. Your host, as always, Daniel Jonas. Here, Monday, July 20th, 2020, Charlotte, North Carolina, as always, um, back after a week of fights, gearing up for another weekend of amazing fights on Yaz Island, <clears throat> Abu Dhabi, Fight Island. Uh, sorry I didn't come back for the third episode, but I don't get paid for this, so unless you guys want me to consistently come back and not have things just pop out of nowhere, uh, pay me. Um, that, that's about it. Like I can't help the fact that I've got uh, uh, something come up and can't make time for this. Sorry about that. Uh, that being said, I can go ahead and cover everything that went on this past weekend, though, um, and I'll pretty much go over the Calvin Cater fight. If anything, that whole fight card on Wednesday put me to sleep. Not in a bad way. There were good fights just Wednesday at 10. Like For example, let's go ahead and get the timing right. So for all those that are complaining overseas, I get in. For those that are fighting, condolences for the fact that you got to fight at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry that this is happening. I'm sorry that you guys have to change it. But, you know, the potential of getting $50,000 for fighting at 3 o'clock in the morning. Some people do that on a Saturday without any without any dangling of money in front of them. Just a couple Jack and Cokes, and they'll get there. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about Wednesday's fights. Before we do that, remember to go check out the website, SouthernScrapNation.com, as well as checking out everything else, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever you've listened to this, all listening apps, podcast app, whatever it may be, um, as well as all social media, um, SouthernScrapNation.com, SouthernScrapNation.com. Dot com. Go there. Uh, so we'll go ahead and mostly just talk about the main event because we had... Oh, actually, there's two things I want to talk about. First one I want to talk about is Munir Lezez. Check that dude out. I think he's from Dubai. Um, I think he's from Dubai. Yeah, out of Dubai. Okay. I don't... I think it's a... There's a Moroccan fighter, too. I don't know... <clears throat> I don't know where it started, but you see it a lot from Middle Eastern fighters. Um, Moroccan fighters, Al Algerian fighters, uh, these Abu Dhabi fighters, or these Dubai fighters. They're very good in their striking... And they're kickboxing. It's not a Muay Thai thing. Like, they're very good with their knees and elbows, but it's not a Muay Thai thing. It's a, it's a kickboxing thing. Uh, Lazez's main – one of his main training partners is Darren Till, and we'll get into the fights this coming weekend. I'll break those down on Wednesday. I'll be here for that. Don't even worry because those fights are all the rage to talk about, especially Darren Till versus Robert Whitaker. My God. That being said – you got you to gotta watch these guys. They're very good with knees up the middle. They stay long. Their striking is so legit. I don't, he's just an MMA fighter from what, I'm, from what I can see. But his striking class is about, a professional, is about a professional kickboxer. I don't really know much about his ground technique, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, he comes from Team Noguera in Dubai. Um. He's got one loss. It's a decision to Elder Eldorov. 
Russian. So I'm assuming he probably just got like out wrestled. Um, that being said, the his ability to throw knees up the middle, um, his his down the line shots like they're all they're all like up the middle stuff down the middle like straight shots um, from vertical horizontally. Those make a huge difference, especially when you get a guy like uh, what was his name? Abdul Alassan, like a very big power hitter that comes around the sides. I'm pretty sure Michael Bisman commented on it. He said, he said uh, it's easier to go from point A to point B with a straight shot, and I've said that a bunch of times. It's that's essentially what it is. You just get this really. Sh- I mean, his name is the sniper. He just picks his shots very well. But instead of the big windup, everything is so right down the middle, so so straight and sharp. He's one to watch for sure. Just like the just oh, and so is Khabib, six foot tall Khabib, Kazamat Chimev. He's coming back and fighting. He shut down John Phillips. It's it's essentially a sambo kind of game. Big dude. He's seven and zero, so he's got a lot to he's got a lot to learn. But he's seven and zero against, a, and he beat a guy that was twenty two and ten by a submission. However, you're talking about a guy who's like a world class sambo level fighter, regardless of his uh, regardless of his his. Oh, actually, he's from Stockholm, Sweden. That's right. He's one of those guys. Oh. He's not don't you know what scratch everything I just said about him being a Russian I mean he's Russian but he's from Sweden and why that makes a lot more sense that he's from that all-star team that's right he had that coach he's from Gustafsson's camp he's a welterweight he's a very big welterweight he's what's his what's his height he's 62 so he definitely definitely trains with Alexander Gustafsson and just that in itself, seven and zero when his sparring is pretty much like pro fights every day. If he's sparring with those guys, he doesn't have to worry about that lack of quote unquote experience. He's going to go against these guys. He's not going to be scared. His team is Alexander Gustafson, Ilir Latifi, um, high level. I forget who else was the other. But there's a lot of guys that come out of that all star gym. So this idea of not being ready for the big show when there's no more crowd. That's another thing. There's no crowd. So these guys that don't have a lot of fights and they come right into fighting, as much as they have millions of eyes on them, they don't have that intimidation of coming out to a crowd going, boo, fucking boo. Like, they don't have that They don't have that worry. They don't have the worry of someone coming out and just like, you suck, or woo, and like your friends and family are there. They don't have to worry about that. They just go out and their friends and family can text them about it later. I think... It's awesome because before you'd have these fighters and they would have to perform and they it may not be their debut and it's their debut and they would get those debut jitters. Now they don't have to worry about the debut jitters and they just go out there and they can perform the way that they would maybe three fights into the UFC contract with fans. So he goes in there and he gets a win and he's all ready and he comes out. He's got a 10-day turnaround and he's about to fight on the next card, I think this weekend. So... I mean, a lot to come from that guy as a prospect and a lot to come from Monir Lezez. I'm going to definitely be looking at those guys um, for sure. 
for those that don't know as well, there was a time in life where Abu Dhabi, since the one of the sheiks from that area, was a heavy investor in the UFC early on. Very, very heavy investor. Um, I'm actually going to look it up right now. I wonder if they'll talk about it. History early. Let's go into the early. So they had a very heavy investor in the Abu Dhabi Sheik era area. Um, I'm trying to find it because I don't know. I don't know if they'll mention it. But anyway, they've always had this like hand in it. So because they've always had this and same thing with ADCC. They've had this uh, uh like this affinity for martial arts and they understood the like the necessity of it to the point where they were paying jujitsu black belts from all over, if you were a black belt, a salary, a place to live, um all your amenities that you needed to teach their children jujitsu, to teach the ju- uh, children of the Abu Dhabi area jujitsu. I don't know what that also means because you hear all these kinds of stuff about you come over here, we'll pay you and all this, and then they end up being indentured servants. I don't know about that. But from what I know, um, I don't know if they're still doing it, but I'll look it up. Um, but get a tea. Here we go. This was back in 2014. Are you teaching? Are you a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black or brown belt? Get a job teaching Jiu Jitsu in Abu Dhabi. The Royal Group is currently hiring. B- Once again, this is seven years ago. Currently hiring BJJ coaches six years ago. Uh, for the United Everett's, our sister committee. Da, da, da. If you reach, da, 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 da. we are offering competitive basic salary, tax free, because it's Abu Dhabi, um, plus accommodation. So you get money, accommodation, furniture. Allowance, so you can buy whatever you want. Transportation, you don't have to worry about a car. Equipment, there's not much equipment for jiu-jitsu anyways. Medical insurance, yearly flight tickets to go to your home country, so you can go home. Relocation flight tickets, and we are sponsoring all employment, visa, residence, medical-related document, uh, documents. Your hour, your extra hours commit commitment will be rewarded, and regular work hours are usually starting in the morning till noon. Fridays and Saturdays off. I mean... Sounds like a deal. Now, I'd love to see, like, a... I'd love to see... I'd love to see, like, the turnout from it, what happened. But that being said, they took... Anyway, maybe it was 4000 a month or something like that. Anyway, um... They essentially ran with it. They saw the importance of it, and they saw that it was going to be a big global. It was going to be a big global thing, so they got their hand in it. And now you're seeing—I don't know if it's those kids, but you're seeing the dedication that they put and the love that they have for the sport. That the Middle East is also a country that is going to surpass the United States in fighting. At least with fighting. Jiu-Jitsu, Americans are, like, coming around with Jiu-Jitsu. Like, you see all these Jiu-Jitsu events and all, like, Brazilians aren't winning and now the tops are American. But once again, these Norwegian guys are coming out and they're killing the game. My 
my friend Cam from Scotland. He's getting everyone ready in Scotland for for the ADCC Middle East, Europe, Africa in March. Like eventually these warrior cultures, Scotland, the Middle East, Africa, uh yeah, Russia a bit. I mean, they live in hard living. Regardless, and we'll talk about that in the main event. They are going to succeed. They have this blood in them, and they just they find something and they do well. Like my friend Cam, amazing jujitsu practitioner, hasn't been in it as long. Very, I mean, he's young, hasn't been in it long, but has succeeded so well. I mean, he's dedicated his life to it, and he's the most dedicated to it. But in his gym, Stevie Ray's there. We had uh, Danny Henry. Um, a bunch of USC fighters come out of that gym. And then 30 minutes down the road in this other Muay Thai gym comes Spencer Yokal, a f- fantastic, you know, Glaswegian from, or that trains at the infamous Yokal gym in Thailand and has been one of their professional young fighters for a long time and trains with the likes of Sanchai, Yoda Chai, um, yeah, everyone that I'm going to say after that is all chai. But regardless, he trains with the best. And it comes from this small plot of land, and for some reason these these people are so good at, athlet- or at, at athletics, competition, fighting. It's a warrior spirit. It's warrior blood. Fucking William Wallace is in their spirit. And it's the same thing when you go to the Middle East. They're not too far from the warrior spirit that they had, and... I don't know too much about Middle uh, Middle Eastern military history, but I know they're a warring people. Um, I mean, Asian culture, for example, they've always succeeded in martial arts. It's, they've, they have a respect for it. The United States doesn't have a respect for martial arts. So we're going to get very good athletically, but then when everybody else is at the same point athletically, but the Americans don't have the same affinity for it, and they're just doing it, to get a paycheck or they're just doing it because they can and they can't get into another sport, you're going to see a lot of losses because and I've, I've, stra- I've, I've been a big proponent of this a lot. Our culture, the American culture's f- sport isn't a martial art. And to be honest, our sports really only teach teamwork. And what it does, it also does is it teaches you not to be self-responsible. Team sports are awesome, and I love them because they, they help you teach how to work with others, and they're fun, and they, you know, it's a good time. But it doesn't teach you self-responsibility, and it doesn't teach you to dig deep within yourself, and it doesn't teach you to stand in front of yourself, and that's who you have to work on. There's many times when I've played on... And being coming from a high school where we had to play a sport, you know, it wasn't until midway through high school that I found wrestling. But all the other sports I played, like soccer, I uh, played a little lacrosse in there. Like these little, and I'm not saying I was good at either of those, I just had to play a sport. So any team sport I played, the classic, hey, why weren't you? Like there's always a place of blame. Like you, could, like I saw it. There was always this, like, you blame someone. You can get away with blaming somebody. Defense wasn't there. Why didn't you score enough? Hey, goalie, why didn't you block enough shots? Hey, 
you know, whatever midfielder. Why don't you take enough pat? Like all these different things, you can blame somebody. At the end of the day, with fighting, wrestling, any of those sambo, uh, kung fu, any of these martial arts that a lot of cultures take as their Muay Thai, right? Is their country's culture or it's their country sport? They take that sport and it defines them as, you know, when they're a kid, it helps them. It helps them as a kid, you know, develop certain disciplines and and virtues that group sports don't do. Group sports are good for certain things, obviously, but I think there's a big lack as as a as a culture in the United States that we don't respect that kind of thing. And we just mostly stick to things that are easy to blame other people. Group sports, right? You can always just, well, he didn't show up. But with wrestling, it's just you. And I wish more kids did wrestling. But there's not a lot of, there's no money in it, right? And that's the big thing. Like, there's no money in this stuff. The beauty of Sambo in Russia is if you got real good, you can then open up your own academy, a.k.a. the Eagles MMA, and make a living. So, so let's just talk about the Calvin Cater Dan Inge fight. I fell asleep before it, uh, but when I woke up, I rewatched the fight. Calvin Cater's boxing once again another level. When I woke up, I saw that Dan Inge was doing an interview, and I was like, "The fuck, did Dan Inge win?" Uh, Calvin Cater's one to mess with, uh, is not one to mess with. Um, as far as to talk about the fight, he did what he was supposed to. The you look at the UFC rankings, it was. He's not going in it. Ooh. He's not going anywhere. Right? So, Dan Inge was t- nine. Yeah, he was nine, and Calvin Cater was, se- uh, the, yeah, stays the same. I think Calvin Cater, we should get against Chan Sung Jung if they don't want to do the Brian Ortega fight or give him. Max Holloway, that'd be a good fight. So, uh, yeah. Good for Calvin Gator, for Dan Inga. I don't know, just fight someone else. All right, so let's talk about the main, the, the fights yesterday, or Saturday, July 18th. Uh, we had Davison Figueredo versus Joseph Benavidez in the main event. Um, ooh, uh, sad fight. Oh, I love Joe. As the first fight I saw, I was like, oh, every time they, would, every time in the first round, he almost gets into that tight arm bar. Joe gets out of it. I'm like, when you're watching a fight, and like the whole entire time, the guy that's like, like inevitably you're gonna root for somebody, right? So I'm rooting for Joe. The first time around, I'm just like, because I haven't seen this fight, and I was like, oh, maybe Joe's experience will help him out. But when you're at the edge of the seat, just like hoping that certain shots don't land, and you're kind of like, you're cringing in the sense that any, like, you're afraid that Joe or whoever you're watching is going to get hurt the whole entire time, probably means they're losing. <laughs> right? I shouldn't be at the edge of the seat going, oh, God. Oh, oh, right? And, you know, the headbutt, whoever's fault it was, it, no one's real fault. It's just, it happens. Clash of heads, Joe gets opened up. Um, and it kind of distracts him for a second, but 
the, no excuse. However, Figueiredo didn't make weight. So there's no winner, and the title stayed vacated. Let's repeat. Davidson's real big win was on the scale. The rest, honestly, was just cementing what he did the first time in a quicker fashion. He's, oh, sorry. He's scary, really scary for flyweight. He went in there, and he did whatever he wanted. He dominated Joseph Benavidez, and no one... Not even Mighty Mouse to, to, uh, dominated Joseph Benavidez the way that Davidson did. Uh, like the like the stats say, Joe's never been submitted before, but Davidson, man, he put him down with like 15 right hand. Like every shot he hit him with put him down. And it goes back to the it goes back to what we we're talking about about these hardened cultures. Not saying that Brazil is one of these hardened cultures, because guess what? If you're closer to the equator, if you're closer and, you, and it's hot outside and you're in this warmer climate, it's easier to break somebody, like mentally break them, because life is easy. Life isn't, life isn't, it doesn't get cold. Cold makes men, makes boys out of men, or makes, yeah, whatever, whatever the saying is. What you're trying, what I'm trying to say is, when you get a guy like Petr Jan, and we saw in the Petr Jan fight, like Aldo was killing it the first round. Second round, killing it. Third round, not so much. Fourth round, not so much. Fifth round, not so much. Right? Eventually, you see this breakdown of a person because when you have someone who's so accustomed to hardship, especially from Serbia, how bad can it get as far as, uh, as, far as like how bad how tough life is in Brazil. Like, yeah, it gets hot. You take your clothes off and go to the beach. Like it gets hot and just drink more water, but there's not much you can do for cold. It just sucks. It gets so cold. It then hurts because it's burning that kind of mentality to be able to survive that. And then on top of that, be from a hardened country like Serbia, Russia, Dagestan, the mental fortitude that these fighters have and these people have, a little bit of punching ain't going to stop me. A little bit of, oh, my muscles hurt, ain't going to stop me. Davison, as much as he is from Brazil, and I'm not ragging on the Brazilian fighters, what I'm saying is he comes from that kind of world. He's a farmer from Brazil. Hey, people, did you know there's farmers in Brazil? Yeah, they're some of the toughest people out there because just like most people are figuring out, they don't know much about them. But I can tell you this. He rides water buffaloes. He does farm work. It's essentially the same thing as being a farmer from the United States 15, 50 years ago. Like the, like the, 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 just the intensity of, like, or the isolation that he lives in. I mean, he's got his family and everything like that. But, you know, you, you grow up in this kind of lifestyle that fighting isn't hard. Your life not fighting is hard. Joe Benavidez, he's been in this game for a long time since WEC. When he, bu- when he beat Henry Cejudo the first time, when Henry got the belt, that's that's would have been Joe's. That's when I would have wanted to see Joe fight for the title again, a rematch for the belt against Henry, 
now you've got this hungry Brazilian who's from farmland Brazil, and he's now getting money for his devastating fights. He's hungry. He's got the belt. I don't see. A lot, I don't see people taking the belt from him. He's terrifying. He fucking hits hard. He's 125 pounds, and he wrestles water buffalo like it's nothing, and rides him. Yeah, a guy that's been in the game, and he gave his best years, um, you know, fighting at the top, going for the belt twice against Demetrius. Like, he's amazing. Joe and Megan are an amazing couple, and I would have loved the moment to see them, you know, Joseph getting or Joe in, getting interviewed by Megan after a, after their win with the belt around him, and she's all giddy, but she has to keep professional. Like that idea and that image in my mind is one of the most heartwarming things that I tried to picture when I saw him fight for the first time against Davison. But enough about the heartbreak. We got to talk about what Davison Figueiredo did. The power is unmatched in that division. I don't, I don't know any flyweight that hits like that. I mean, he hit Benavides with a shot, and then Benavides took like a second and then crumpled. Like it's it's like Rumble Johnson kind of strength at one twenty five. That's wild to me. Um, on top of that, he's just unbelievably strong. I don't know how he goes in the later rounds. He does have a loss. He did lose to Formiga. Yeah, he lost a decision to Formiga. Um. Yeah. Benavides is dangerous plan. Let's see. Do, 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 do. Yeah, like this kind of stuff admits he knows he won't get another crack at it. Oh, that's sad. He also doesn't wanna he also doesn't want to give it up right now, which okay. Um wait. Uh, I mean, I, I would say just, I would just say, yeah, I would just say make money, I guess. His wife has a solid job. If he wants to fight more, I just don't want him to fight, like, top contenders. Like, that's not where he, he, de- he deserves big money, like, not money fights, but he deserves, like, <clears throat> He deserves, like, <clears throat> fun fights. Fights that, you know, he's got no... It's not a question about, like, whether he wins or loses. He get the belt. It's just about who's fun for him to fight. I don't know if it's a 125, if there's a 135, or that maybe he wants to step up and, you know, John Dotson or something, a fight that I don't think we ever got. Who knows? I don't know. He doesn't want to stop. I don't know what that necessarily means. I'm seeing if he fought John Dodson. He's fought it. He beat Eddie Wyland. Like Eddie, Eddie Wyland, not. Not. Not Eddie Wyland now. John Moraga. Henry Cejudo. Yeah, I don't know. He wants to fight somebody. He KO'd Formiga. 
It's a it's a tough it's a tough outing for him because where does he go? Davidson Figueroa fights anybody, anyone that wants to ask, and we'll get to the we'll get to the guy, Askar Askarov. But anyway, so in the co-main event we had Jack Hermanson versus Kevin Gastelum. Man, there's not much to say about this. Uh, I guess Jack Hermanson got his hands on the Lachlan Giles DVD. Jack Hermanson's a problem. He's huge. I don't know Kevin Gaslam's game plan to go in there and take him down. Because he got out of the ground game of Jack Hermanson, and then he just and then he initiated the the uh, the guard. Uh, to me, Jack Hermanson, if he's going for legs, you just leave the ground alone completely. Because there's not enough time in the day as an MMA fighter to learn all the details of each step-by-step how to defend like that kind of knee bar, at least at Kevin Gastelum's level. So for him, it just would have been best to stuff the takedowns, keep it boxing, but jack the Joker Manson. Finding a way to get that leg lock in, that heel hook in. I don't know if it was a lack of understanding on how to defend it, uh, but should have been kicking the hands, should have been kicking off the butt. There's a lot to do. It's a heel hook, too, so. With those gloves, it's kind of impressive to me that he still got that grip and he was still able to get that torque. Uh, I think it was just a lack of understanding of the position. But congrats to Jack Hermanson. Definitely... Uh, a Jared Cannoneer or a... Uh, oh, wait, no. Jared Cannoneer knocked him out. Um, not Jared Cannoneer. <laughs> wait, let's see. Uh, Jack Hermanson versus Yoel Romero is really the only fight. <laughs> but I'd rather see Jared Cannoneer versus Yoel Romero. I guess Jack Hermanson... If you can get a win over, like, Derek Brunson, maybe a guy with really... Well, Derek Brunson versus Edmund Shabazian. Fuck. Maybe Marvin Vittori trying to get a revenge for his teammate. I don't know. It's a very... sucks for him because he's in a very odd spot. You have Paulo Costa versus Israel, which is in the works, if not signed and ready for UFC, whatever. And then you have Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till this weekend. Then you have Jared Cannonier versus Joel Romero, I think. And then Jack Romanson versus Kevin Gastelum. And that already happened. So I guess Jack Romanson, wait for the winner of Till versus Whitaker or Cannonier versus Romero. I would love to see... Well, I'll get into that later. But yeah, so congrats to Jack Romanson. Uh, Kevin Gastelum will be back, I assume. And then fight of the night, Rafael Fiz, uh, Adaman, uh, versus Mark DeCasey. Great performance by kickboxing coach Rafael. Uh, like I said, uh, trained kickboxing with him. It means nasty. From what I saw in that fight, that's exactly what I saw when I saw him live, like in person, like coaching and sparring. Like he's that good. That's the difference between. Just regular MMA striking, someone who trains with some of the best kickboxers and Muay Thai fighters in the world. Michael Bisping made a good point in the fight. 
Muay Thai fighters are very good at kicking, kneeing, elbowing. Their strategy is kick to punch. A good way to beat them, and Ramon Deckers is the one that showed this, and this is the difference between the complexity of sport uh, and fighting and how it's not super complex, but there are aspects of it that are complex. To beat a kick-to-punch fighter, you got to turn the axis on its head and become a punch-to-kick fighter. Because when you're punching and you're in kicking range, but you're using that punching to get to kicking range, there's a lot of fainting and there's a lot of angle changing in order to land the right kick. Ties aren't as good as that because they feel as though if you're in punching range and you're trying to kick me, you're going to just get kicked to death. And it usually works until you come across a guy who's very good, Ramon Deckers, as blasting through that kick range with fainting and shots and missing shots on purpose to get to those leg kicks after, to cut to, to what's the word for it, to, to beat the range, I don't know, to like stifle the range. Mark DeCasey was showing, this is why it was fight of the night, was showing promise when he was doing that when he was using boxing and the angle changing to put Rafael at a delay for a second, right? You're used to, as a Muay Thai fighter, you're just used to, like, kicking in front of each other. Way, 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 catch, sweep, whatever. And it's just, like, kind of just in front of each other. But as soon as you, like, pop a jab out, take a step out to the right, and then follow up with a kick or something like that, it's different. They don't, the timing's off. So you have to beat them by using the Calvin Cater boxing. And then when they use their footwork to move all the way out, you throw a kick to the legs. And then slowly but surely, those kicks to the legs will add up, and the tie or the tie kind of fighter will end up just being standing in front of you throwing punches, but that's not their strong suit. Those body kicks, unbelievable. All right, And Mark DeCasey's not... A tie fighter, so he's not going to sit there and check them and throw back. He's an MMA fighter. So he took them, but in order to try to get a better angle to throw a right hand or something like that. So a good, so a fighter with that mentality eventually might, caught, might catch Rafael, who's a little, you know, lightweight division. Let's see. Um, I mean, he's not even in the top 15 yet, but like a Paul Felder is a good example. I don't know. There's a lot. I mean, there's, I don't want to get too far down the rankings because he's got to get there first. But um, just a, a fighter that's that's knowledgeable Thai style and then the knowledgeable like kickboxing style. So congrats to that. And then we'll get into the flyweight, Ariane Lipsky. Let's just talk about the fact that she was in the most dangerous calf slicer, changed the situation by putting her weight on the opponent and obviously the flexibility in her leg and the non-will to give up because it sucks. Calf slicers fucking suck. Uh, I got calf sliced a while ago, and my leg, like, popped too. Uh, It sucked. But... Um, she turned the tables. And it's very hard 
to crank on a submission, and especially for that cap slicer, you essentially have to have the person like sitting in your lap, and then like you grab onto them and hold like bear hug them from behind, and that allows you to like finish it and put the pressure on it. But what Lipsky did smartly is she squared her opponent's hips up on the ground and essentially are, sat on her. So not that she was trying to pull away and get away. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She was comfortable in the position. Sat on uh, Carolina, not allowing her to then maneuver correctly. And then she just attacked the leg, the free leg, the leg that was open and grabbed her by the ankle and knee barred her bad to the point where it hyperextended and possibly broke it. It was gross. Um, but if you want to play that leg game, you have to be fucking good at the leg game. All right. Jack Hermanson, great at the leg game. Luna Carolina, probably not that great at the leg game. Probably learned to cast slicer and was like, I'm going to do this. And then she started in that position. And then this Ariane Lipsky chick's like, all right, but if you don't plan on intending to finish it or you don't know how to finish it, I'm going to make you pay. All right, it's like throwing a spinning back kick and then getting knocked out by a roundhouse kick. The spinning back kick may have been perfect, the setup, the technique. But if you miss it by an inch on a guy like Israel's level, all right, he just takes a step back and makes you miss, you can guarantee you are going to pay hard. And that's essentially what you made her do. The spinning wheel kick of submissions, you don't know the fundamentals of it. You don't know the mechanics of it. You may have done it once or twice. Someone took advantage and used the fundamentals against you. Took the knee, bent it back, uh, and it's not, there's no technicality to it. It's me taking your leg and bending it away. It doesn't bend. You've compromised yourself by putting yourself in a position that doesn't allow you to then maneuver. You've trapped yourself. So, hope you guys enjoyed that submission. That was kind of gross to watch, but <laughs> it was fucking cool. Uh, flyweight. Then you have Askar Anzarov taking a decision over Alexander Pantoja. I mean, just surviving the onslaught of the heavy strikes of Alexander to then, I mean, 15 takedown attempts. He's only got, he only got two. He got two takedown attempts. You know what's crazy? Alexander Pantoja had a bunch of submission attempts, and they put zero here. Like, when Askar took him down at first, there was, like, four submission attempts off the bat, and right here on the stats, they put zero. Are you out of your fucking mind? He had four submission attempts. He went like armbar, or he went guillotine, or, or triangle, armbar. Let's see if the UFC thing is a little bit more knowledgeable. Zero submission attempts. The fuck? It was a very close fight. Uh, it's going to be awesome to see Askar fight in the top of the division, especially since he's like an up and he's like a newcomer, mo making moves, beating top contenders. I'm not saying he's going to be next in light to fight Davidson Figueiredo. Could be. 
I mean, it's a pretty shallow division. <laughs> Let's see. You could throw a Brandon Moreno in there. He's a pretty big flyweight, too. So I'd love to see Davidson versus, like, a guy that's a solid 125-er. Kai Kara Franca. Franca is climbing up the ranks bit by bit. A guy from Team City Kickboxing. And if you guys are... Uh, if you guys are eyeing it um that's gonna be that would be three fighters from that team that would gain championship he fights alongside israel and alexander out of that camp so that'd be cool eventually i was watching something too the other day or looked at something the other day the top fighters right now, David Figueredo has one loss. Petr Jan has one loss. Alexander Volkanovsky has one loss. I think Petr has one loss. Khabib has zero losses. Kamara has zero losses. Israel's got one loss. John has, quote-unquote, one loss. Stipe's got three losses. Three losses. Amanda's got... Four. Whaley's got, I think, one. And Shevchenko's got two, three. You're talking about high-level fighters, right? You're These champions deserve to... Yeah, Israel's got zero losses. Like, these are champions in their own right in a way where they live up to it. None of them, like, they don't have losses, and they do if they do, they're like so early on in their career. Petter. One loss. Fifteen. And they're all double digit wins. Like this makes a lot of sense. They're not they're far enough along in their careers. They've had over ten fifteen fights, most of them. And they've also accumulated fifteen or more wins and their losses stay below five champions champion fighters that's why when i see a guy like dustin poirier who i love i think 26 and 6 not saying that's not champion level what i'm saying is it makes sense when you get a guy like khabib who's 28 and 0 beats him uh max holloway 21 and 6 not saying that a guy like Alexander Volkanovsky, which I thought Max won the last fight, but anyway, um, he's not a champion, but it makes sense. 22 and 1. It just might be a new era of champions. And, I'm a, and Khabib's obviously part of that old era, but he doesn't fight enough, so um, never mind on that. It's just a new era of champions. And so that older era, they're starting to rack up those losses. Not in a bad way. But just before the Holloway era, it was the Jose Aldo era. He's 28-7 and seven now. He's young. But you can just, it just starts to happen. Those losses are wars. These guys are so good, they're not just going to get knocked out cold. These guys get put into wars. Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier. 
Max Holloway versus Alexander. Like the losses that they take are wars. Like it takes some out of them. So you got to watch these up and comers with the the one loss, but like twenty wins. Um. All right. I'll see later. That's why I like Leon Edwards versus Kamar Usman, 18-3. and three. Like, that's a legitimate, like, champion fight. Gilbert Burns, I think, is the same way. 19-3. and three. Right? Any fighter that's got double digits and below five, I'm telling you, potential next champion. Now, girl, girl division's a little bit different. Now, that's more like older school. MMA, where we got Tatiana Suarez, who's undefeated, has only nine wins, but she's, you know, I think same with like, no, Whaley's got a shit ton. Show me her. Show me her record. Yeah, she's 21 and one for a girl that's crazy. Um, you have to be a foreign fighter for, that, for those numbers. Yeah, so the, that was the fights. Not really much else other than that. Joe Duffy announces his retirement. Thank you for your whole perform. Thank you for your time, Joe. Um, really enjoyed watching Joe Duffy. Davy ha- Hamos getting beaten by Armin. Uh, so you get a guy to fucking watch. Fifteen and two. This dude's very good everywhere. He's young. Um, like, good everywhere. Uh, and his striking's incredible. Armand wants Ally Quinta because he fought with Khabib. Yeah, makes sense. It's not a bad call-out either. I'd... Yeah. He just needs to... He just needs to, like, campaign for it because Ally Quinta doesn't come out and fight just anybody. All right, let's get into some news or anything like that, matchups, and then we'll I'll hype up what I'll come out. I'll break down on Wednesday. I'm trying to see as far as matchups if there was anything. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. X. Oh, that's cool. X UFC fighter Dustin Ortiz among participants to in Brave CF flyweight tournament. They're doing a flyweight tournament. That's cool. All right, well, I guess that's it. I thought there was going to be a lot of... Oh, UFC 242, Ricky Bendejas versus Sergio Marais. That's hell of a hell of a lineup, or hell of a fight. I think Ricky Bendejas is going to take that, though. Do-do-do-do-do-do. 
Okay. Well, good for that. Um, so next week, or this weekend, we have Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till in an amazing middleweight fight uh, stacked July 25th on ESPN. Um, I mean, not much to say about this. Darren Till, 18-2 and two and 1. Ooh. Uh, I love this fight for Darren um, Robert. It's a good way for him to get back. He's good. I mean, it's essentially a welterweight. Two guys that were too big for welterweight to fight at middleweight, so it's kind of like a catchweight for two middleweight fighters. That on top of that, uh, two strikers, uh, one more fundamental than the other as far as Darren Till, very just like traditional Muay Thai. But Robert Whitaker, man, that in and out style, it's enough to give Darren some problems, just like Jorge Masvidal. But is Robert's chin in as good shape as Jorge's, right? Because remember in the beginning of that Jorge fight, it wasn't like Jorge was just walking Darren down. He got shut down with the right-left hand like immediately. So the difference between the Robert Whitaker and the Israel fight too, and I don't want to break it down too much, is we have two aggressive offensive fighters. Israel, more of a counter-striker, like Anderson picks up reads, and then once he feels comfortable, he starts throwing offense in order to get you to bait or in order to for you to bite on the bait. Darren Till, though, he's got that awesome mentality of, here's my fucking leg, let's see how you deal with it. And he throws a, a body kick with his, left, uh, with his left kick, and depending on how you block it or on how you fucking handle that, his game is then, you know... Either I'm trying to think, like Tyron Woodley caught him with that right hand over the top, and that's what Darren's gonna have to be careful of. But at the same time, I don't know. He just looks like a beast. He looks hungry as fuck, and I really think he wants that Israel fight. And I think that's what, uh, man. I really, really, really want that Israel fight too. And I think he himself also feels that way, and that's uh, that's what he's fighting for. So under what Robert's why is. Other than that, on the card, we got the return of Shogun versus Little Nog. And then you have Fabricio Verdum versus Alexander Gustafson at heavyweight. And I think that's a fucking awesome fight. And then the return of that Chimev guy. You have Cowboy Oliveira versus Peter Sabata. I think that could be fighter in the night contender, if not the main card. The return of Paul Craig. Uh, shout out to Cam, because I know you love Paul. Um, Carlos Sparza versus Marina Rodriguez. Francisco Trinaldo. Nicholas Dalby. Fetch Cohea. Nathaniel Wood. Dude's fun to watch. Tanner Bozer versus Rafael Pizzoa. That's a fun heavyweight fight. That la- if, that, if no one gets knocked out in that, I'd be very confused. Uh, I would be very skeptical of the rest of the card. Um... That's all I got for you guys today. I'll be back Wednesday, and I mean it because I'm taking this week off. Uh, I'll be back Wednesday to break down more of the card and actually do a breakdown. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. You can find everything at SouthernScrapNation.com, SouthernScrapNation podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, all your listening devices. Uh, SouthernScrapNation on iTunes or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, SouthernScrapNation.com for anything else and more. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and thanks again for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Until next time, I've been your host, Daniel Jonas, and stay safe. Peace.